welcome to the show Off the Record. I'm Aram Mokumuf, the host. Thanks for tuning in. On this show, I'm interviewing well-known CEOs, VCs, and investors about how to spend the money that you raise effectively and what mistakes to avoid. My guests have been in the trenches and have lots of practical advice to share from company stories, failures, and successes. Uh, as a founder, you'll hear what you can do better when raising money and after you have raised the money, all in a 30-minute conversation. And if you happen to be a VC, this show is also for you. Uh, you'll get to learn from your peers who will be on the series. Uh, so this is episode number four, and I'm here with Gary Amaral and Armando Biondi. Quick background introductions on, on two. Um, Gary is the chief product officer and co-founder of Breadcrumbs, uh, a revenue acceleration platform. Gary has extensive experience as a change agent, change agent and has extensive experience as um, a creative marketer as well. Uh, Armando is a three-time entrepreneur and has worked with Hootsuite and many other large companies. Interesting fact, Armando has invested in over 150 companies as an angel investor. So lots of knowledge uh, to get from the great uh, guests that we have today on the show. Um, let me kind of just jump into it, guys. So thanks so much for being on uh, Off the Record. It's great to have you. Thanks for having us, Aram. I wanted to ask, um, you both have different experiences um, across different uh, industries. I want to learn more about breadcrumbs and how your experience has been raising funding uh, for this new startup venture that you're doing. Kind of tell us what went well, what didn't go well, what uh, you got to know about yourselves and being a founder again or for the first time. Um, please, um, over to you, Gary. Yeah, uh, super interesting time for us to raise funds. So, um, you know, Armando and I started talking about breadcrumbs kind of fall into the winter of 2019. Um, and then it kind of became reality March 2020, which uh, I'm not sure if you've noticed, but a major pandemic hit the world at that point. Um, so um, I was super thankful that Armando uh, was along for the ride um, based on his experience. And I, I think Armando can add some color in terms of what that fundraising experience looked like. Yeah, uh, it's interesting because we were fundraising in the middle of the acute phase of the you know chain lockdowns that were happening across the world. Um, I think if I want to kind of abstract the conversation a little bit, I think you need to specify or, or diversify the type of founder that you are. Uh, whether you're a first-time founder or a repeat founder, it's a you know, fundamentally different fundraising experience. Um, also based on, on, on what like investors particularly are looking for and the type of investors that you're talking about or thinking about. If you are looking for you know, angel investors, it's different versus funds. Uh, angel investors would be relatively earlier uh, in terms of you know, check size. It would be a relatively smaller check size. They would be relatively more comfortable with a higher amount of risk. And they would be looking for a return in the, let's call it like five to 10x. They would be happy with that type of return. Funds uh, will be cutting larger checks will be doing a longer due diligence on you. One difference that I didn't mention with regards to angels is that they will be making quicker decisions and faster decisions compared to funds. Mm -hmm. So funds will be doing uh, longer due diligence. They will be cutting larger checks. Uh, they will want more validation. 
and they will be looking for outliers. So if you sell for, if you're uh, aiming to potentially or thinking about, you know, selling in the 50 to $100 million range, and we can talk more about, you know, what that means later on if you want, that's a good enough sure. return for angels. It's not a good enough return for funds. And you should be very aware of that when you start engaging in conversations with funds and angel investors. That's one first important differentiation. So the type of investors you talk with matters. And also uh, different angel investors and different funds will be looking for different things. They will be more excited about different things They will be or less um, in terms of categories, type of industry, traction versus you know, other elements. And so knowing what gets them excited and what they're excited about, looking at their portfolio and asking them exactly in the conversation actually helps you very much in forming that conversation. And that's something that sophisticated founders know how to do very well. Um, if you are an early, like a first time founder, so switching back to the type of founder that you are, it matters also what you sell. Right, the thing, what, what are investors buying from you when they invest in you? Like technically they're buying shares of your company, but really like that matters only to a certain degree. They're buying access to you, your network, and potentially um, it's like knowledge of the industry and what you're doing with or access to information, right? And so if you are a first time founder, um, that means that you have less clout there because you have less of a name to spend. And so you have to build more validation around the other things, around traction, around why it matters in terms of market growth or potential opportunity that you're going after. If you are a repeat founder, those things arguably matter a little bit less. They still matter, but the fact that you have been there, done that, maybe one or one time already or more than once already, maybe you return them money already. You know, if you return them money, of course they are gonna bet on, bet on you again. Uh, if you return them like five to 10 X, yes, I'm, I'm gonna throw another check at you because of the relationship and see, you know, if that works again. Um, if you're a first time founder, you don't have that luxury, right? And so you need to build more validation around the story around the opportunity, the size of it, the speed of growth of the market, as well as the validation that you're able to deliver and generate uh, for, for you as a company. Yeah, so I think, sorry, yeah, just, just, I think the, the, you know, the timing was challenging in terms of, of um, breadcrumbs um, initiation, but we lucked out, I think, in terms of having all of those elements that Armando was talking about, right? We had, um, a founder who been there, done there, done that, successful exit, tons of experience as an operator. We had a bunch of subject matter expertise in terms of the product area or the problem we're trying to solve. And like there was an obvious, there is an obvious need in the market for the solution. So the fact that we had all three of those actually, you know, made the, made the fundraising experience quite painless in, in my opinion. And I think Armando would, would agree with yeah. that. But our case so, is a little bit of a special case in that sense because of the, all the elements that was mentioned. So, I mean, just to kind of touch on that, I mean, a lot of um, early stage companies, um, 
when they go and they ask for money from angels or from whoever, it's a, a lot of the emphasis, as you mentioned, is on the team and the vision, right? Those are the yeah. two main things. Um, when with your process with uh, raising money for breadcrumbs, I mean, you guys already have that experience. So, like, was there anything that came out from your learnings? Was it you know really seamless, really like smooth? Even it was in the pandemic stage or anything that kind of came out. Yeah. So during two, the process, two nuggets of like insight there that I would that I would mention is one, uh, play your strengths out, or uh, you know, play it by your strengths. Um, you know, everyone has things where they are they have like a stronger position or experience of background or expertise, and other areas where they're not as strong, right? And so, you know, it's more around underscoring those things where you're strong on versus the mm -hmm. other way around. Um, and the second nugget of insight, and we, you know, we did that, of course, as, you know, just going through the talk track, you could notice some of those elements in there. Um, the second nugget of insight that I would probably mention with regards to this is that valuation matter. Um, this is a- Valuation matters? Yeah. Okay. This is another one of the, yeah, this is one of the the things where like early stage founders or not, you know, super experienced founders stumble upon more often than not. Um, and I see this also as, as, as an angel investor myself, right? They they have unreasonably high valuations asks when they don't have too much traction behind it or too much name behind it. And so that's a harder sell. Uh, you should be aware of the fact that, you know, angels particularly and funds, but more angels would be, you know, willing to bet on you if your ask is reasonable uh, versus not so much so, right? Okay. And, and the, the, a good comparison that I often use when I talk to founders about this is like, think about when you, when you go to the supermarket and you want to buy anything, right? A, a packed pasta or, or whatever snack, how many choices do you have? right, uh, with like different price points, but you have like 20 or like a conflicts, right? How many can you buy, right? From an investor perspective is the same. How many companies do you have that are, you know, uh, priced at 5 million, 7 million, 10 million valuation that you can invest your money on? You know, technically yeah. there is an infinite amount of those. And so it's always come down to what's the trade-off, what's more interesting, uh, why there is a compelling reason for the founder to succeed um, and whether or not the risk that I'm taking is appropriate for that. And so when, when you were going and you were fundraising, I'm, I'm, I'd love to kind of like go a little bit deeper with the valuation side uh, on yeah. this point, because I know it's a big contention area with founders and with investors. How with breadcrumbs, with, with like the angels and with the yeah. uh, organizations you worked with, how did that like... How did that go to be? Like, was it? It is a big contentious point, and the reason for that is that founders tend to think that the higher the better, uh, and that is not necessarily always true. It's actually, you know, less true than most times, uh, or like less, you know, accurate. Um, for us, again, it was kind of a special conversation because, uh, you know, myself and. Um, Elizabeth from Asofan, you know, I was just, we weren't even thinking about fundraising back then. 
Okay. And uh, I was just sharing, you know, this idea that we were kind of thinking about talking about and the fact that we were actually thinking about starting something and we actually had a name for it and we were kind of in the process of creating the company and she's like, okay, uh, where should I wire my check? And I was like, um, we don't have a company yet. We don't have a bank account yet, but appreciate the vote of confidence. Uh, and like, uh, should we talk about valuation? And like, like, yeah, sure. Let's talk about valuation. What are, what are you thinking? Well, I was thinking this much and I was like, well, I was thinking more of this other much. And uh, what, what about splitting that in the middle? Okay. And that was it. Awesome. Right. That's, I think you have a good relationship and a good Which is not so. exactly <laughs> how things happen most of the time. Uh, most of the times is like you have five companies, you, you know, what's the more constrained resource? Um, it's capital to some degree. Capital is very wide, wildly available these days, but from a single investor perspective, you know, you can invest in just so many companies, right? And so your 10K, 25K check, uh, you're gonna have to decide where it goes. Um, and it's a trade-off between how excited I am about the founder, how excited I am about the space, how much traction do they have, what they're asked in terms of valuation. Okay, got it. Awesome. Yeah, I think, I, I think the, the nuggets pull out of there or two nuggets pull out of there too is that you know, valuation is somewhat an art and a science, right? There's like, right. there's, there's tangibles and there's some math that you can do. Um, but a lot of it is, is, is art too. Right. And, and that was a very friendly conversation between two people that know each other very well. Um, but I think most founders have to be prepared for a conversation around valuation and getting to a number that's, you know, not necessarily, I don't know if the right term is reasonable, but acceptable mm -hmm. to all parties. And just to contextualize that a bit, uh, you know, if you think about the Silicon Valley, like a very common valuation that you can find is anywhere between five, six, eight, ten. These days, uh, when it comes to YC companies, very, very often it's more like eight to fifteen for a very okay. early stage company um, with relatively little traction, some industry expertise knowledge. Um, and, you know, again, the way you position yourself as the founder does matter, because if you think about those cornflakes, you know, examples, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you're competing with how many other companies that the investors that you're talking with right now is thinking about and why and how do you stand out? Mm -hmm. Oh, it's very interesting. Uh, thanks. Thanks for the answers, guys. Um, I wanted to go to another kind of segue. Um, it's more about uh, distribution of capital, especially around like salaries um, for founders and things like that. So when, when we had a chance to speak with Garrett before, and we were talking about that, you know, founders, you know, it is, it's hard as it is already, you know, in, in our lives, uh, being able to not having to worry about your livelihood is pretty important so that you can keep things, um, keep things going on the personal side. I wanted to ask your perspective on like, it's okay. Like, is it okay for the founding team to be paid even, you know, if you raise money, um, uh, you know, from friends and family or even like at a seed stage? Um, how did you guys do it? Yeah, so um, I can add some color here because honestly, um, I learned a lot through this experience, right? This is my first time founding a company. It's my first time raising money. Um, and 
initially we had considered you know bootstrapping the company for for likely the first you know year to to possibly two um and and then you know that conversation happened and things changed and 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 you know suddenly we were we were funded um in the bootstrapping scenario obviously like no expectation of drawing any income uh in that in that phase and considering uh we were raising money um very early on a big vote of confidence my expectation is that we probably would not be paying ourselves uh and what i came to learn and and now what i firmly believe um is that that is actually counterintuitive to the success of the business um you know i'm working full-time on this business uh armando is working full-time on this business um we have no other distractions and it becomes a lot easier to have no other distractions when you're not concerned about uh, income from my from my perspective. Um, and I think a lot of a lot of uh, investors share that share that opinion. I think Armando can add some more color here. Yeah, well. I'm happy to add some more color. I think it comes down to at least from my personal experience, both as an operator and as an angel investor. Um, there is a, a moment in which you switch gears. Right when when and if you got to a point where you have enough funding, then there is an expectation that you're going to be compensating yourself market rates or like like some somewhere below market rates, like conservatively close to it, yeah. Um, to focus because at that point the the pack that you're making with your investors is that you're going to do whatever it takes to get them several multiples of that money, and that you know mm -hmm. will. I require you focus exclusively on the your company the startup before that moment uh what i would advise most founders and what i did myself many times that bootstrapping phase um you, you want to try and put as little opex like operational expenses on the company as possible for as long as possible like from a personal you know uh, payment perspective. or salary perspective uh, and you want to maintain your optionality in terms of like you still want to have some peace of mind but by generating income from other sources mm -hmm. right and meanwhile you work at this and validate whether this is an actually a viable business idea that you should invest your time on and potentially raise money for mm -hmm. um, and and the idea the fundamental core idea here is the idea of optionality as well as peace of mind Right. And, you know, one of the things I often mention, which has been my kind of operating behavior for many, many years now, is that, you know, the number one job for founders is to maximize optionality for themselves and for their company and the team and the investors. Optionality meaning that you are in the position to make the decision you want when you want them. Uh, meaning that, like that. You know, if you want to raise more money, you can raise more money. If you want to sell the company, you can sell the company. If you want to grow profitably, you can grow profitably. If you want to pay yourself more, you can pay yourself more. Uh, or you, mm -hmm. you want to give you know, a, a bonus to your team, you can do that. Um, and every decision that you make as a company uh, and as a founder comes with trade-offs in that sense. Fundraising is one of those decisions. Most people think that raising money gives them more optionality that is true only to a certain degree because raising money is a commitment that you're making uh and you're saying to those people okay i'm i'm committing myself to working mm -hmm. three five ten years 
to give you guys three, five, ten, a hundred X what you guys gave me, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, so that's awesome. Up to that point, from you know, when you raise money, probably you shouldn't pay yourself. You should find your salary and your peace of mind, which you deserve as a founder, from other income sources. Mm-hmm. Beyond that point, when you raise enough, probably above half a million. You know, the first half a million probably goes to support the team, and like my rule of thumb would be after that half a million there is an expectation that you're going to compensate yourself to focus exclusively on the business and to really give it a shot. Okay. Oh, great answers. Thank you. Um, the, the next question I have was um, getting money from different investors is not always the same. Um, you know, some have additional benefits. Some are just pure capital that you need. How, when you were raising uh, funding for, for breadcrumbs, how did you find a balance between the strategic investment in terms of like what it could get you extra other than the capital that you're trying to get versus just kind of pure capital. Um, yeah. Gary, you go um, first and then I'd love to get Armando's perspective. <laughs> yeah, just like a high level thought here and then we can go into a little bit of the details in terms of, of our story. But, um, you know, those decisions are just as much about the money as, as the bandwidth that they take up, right? Because um, strategic investors, by their nature, will be more involved. They will require more conversations. There will be tons of benefits, but there's, you know, there's a tax there. And then there's other investors that uh, either are not interested or are not in the area of, of providing that strategic value, but are more than happy to provide the capital. Um, and you know, the money comes in handy, but then there's kind of no parachute there if you need guidance or help or, or whatever. So I think like most things in life, it's, it's finding a good combination of those two types of investors. Um, as, as you you grow, the type of investor kind of skews, I think, um, just because of, you know, the, the check size and the sophistication that's required, uh, to go along with that growth. Um, but I think we found, we found a great kind of mix of um, super smart investors uh, working with tons of companies, they add a ton of value. Um, they don't they don't have a ton of demands on us other than keeping them informed. Um, and then we have a bunch of great investors that you know are, are capital first investors and they're along for the ride. Um, so it's, it worked out great in our in our situation, I think. So let me the way I think about it is, and the way I recommend founders usually is that smart money is a luxury. And most founders tend to optimize too much for it. Um, they tend to think that they have to find as much smart money as they can. That is actually not necessarily true or not necessarily the case. Most of the times, uh, the smart money in, for most founders is like a probably like a single point percentage of the total capital raise, let's call it like a 10 to 15%. So 10 okay. to 15% of your capital raise, which is actual smart money, great if you can get it, knowing that you don't need to over-index for that um, and knowing that smart money is a luxury because you know smarter investors will also be more demanding in terms of you know how is business doing you know whether you guys have an edge uh, in terms of actually winning the market because of you know which reason uh, versus you know not necessarily smart money I don't want to call it 
that money because it's still money and it's still very valuable as money. It's just not, you know, with, you know, additional expertise attached, right? Um, and so that's kind of the rule of thumb that I would advise and recommend, like 10, 15% great go for it if you can get it, knowing that you don't have to over-index for it. For us, again, kind of a special situation because of the network that we have uh, and the, you know, study and background that we have. So for us, I'll probably call it like 50%. Um, but I've, I've, I would never recommend that to be the rule of thumb for most people. Mm -hmm. So on that, on that note, Armando, maybe we could start first with you here. Um, when you were going through this process of, of raising capital, I mean, how do you personally find a balance between uh, the money that you raise and how much equity to give out uh, for that in, like in the company? As like a, as an individual, like how do you kind of make that balance? Uh, so for us specifically, it was how much were we willing to give away uh, at this stage, given yeah. that there was interest and, and our friends network of you know, insiders were excited about what we were doing. Uh, and the benefit that we saw to have them on board, beside the pleasure of having them participate in our next initiative, you know, the, the net benefit of having them being stakeholders. Um, for most companies, uh, it comes down to how much money do they think they need to get to the next stage of growth? Like how much to get diluted for that, I don't think necessarily should be too much of a topic uh, because it's a function going back to my previous comment, really dilution is a function of valuation and valuation is a function of how competitive is the space? How much background do you have? How much can you sustain that valuation versus how much you need the cash? If you need the cash to get off the ground and get to that first revenue, that you know, next stage of growth, you shouldn't over-index for higher valuation. Um, as a rule of thumb in the industry, saying that just for the benefit of your audience, um, I don't know if people know, uh, in general, rule of thumb is that for every round that you do, uh, you essentially give away like 15 to 25% of your company. And that is true at any stage. What changes is the valuation and the amount of money that you're raising but knowing that most investors, particularly at the later stage, will want that, you know, skin in the game. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think for us too, it, there was just generally a desire um, to preserve equity at this stage. Like we, we, we firmly believe in this business. And I think that our ability to do that was, you know, having experienced operators at the table we had a better sense of, you know, how far a dollar could actually go. I think that's one of the risks with like first time founders, uh, right. cause there's so many un unknowns, right? Like the, the understanding, the actual relationship between the dollar raised and how you're going to deploy that capital and what the return is going to be on that is, is a kind of a nebulous formula. Um, and we had a better sense with the benefit of previous founders, right? So, mm -hmm. Any, any incremental investment dollar, uh, we could be very judicious about whether or not that capital at this point in time was actually beneficial or not. Mm -hmm. Does that, does yeah. that make sense to you? Yeah, no, 
And this 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 follow up question I have is, is for you, Gary. Uh, this is, I think, your first time as a founder raising capital, right? That's right. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, I mean, as like a first time founder, you know, getting this type of money, I want to ask you, how do you, how do you stay focused? Like you're probably getting lots of new things coming your way, lots of requests, you know, you know, you're kind of exploding at this point. Um, how do you keep yourself focused on executing like the most important things and ignore the rest? Uh, yeah, that's a really good, that's a really good question. I think, uh, whether you have, whether you've successfully raised capital or not, that's just a startup dilemma. There's a, like the list of things to do continuously grows. The amount of people or time that you can throw at a problem is absolutely finite. Um, and, and really the decisions come in kind of two categories. There's like the dumpster fires that you just have to address because you have no choice. And then, mm -hmm. and then there's, you know, alignment between your, you know, your founding team or your leadership team about what you want to accomplish in terms of those key milestones and, and continuously talking about that. And if you're continuously talking about that, the things that you need to do related to those milestones, just stay at the top of the list and, and, and you focus on those. Um, I, I think, you know, goal setting is a big function of good prioritization, because if you can make the direct connection between task and goal, then, then it's easy to prioritize what you need to do. It doesn't change the fact that there's always too much to do, um, yeah. but it makes it easier to prioritize what you're doing. And on those kind of milestones or the goalposts that you have to hit, do you have any, or I mean, in breadcrumbs case, for example, or just in general, or maybe other Carmando, maybe you could, you could um, um, answer this as well. Um, how much of that is tied to actual investment criteria of the milestones that you raise money for? So I definitely think Armando should speak to this for, for a, <laughs> the big reason being that he's, he's the driver of our goal setting exercises for the most part, right? Like uh, I think the benefit we have on this, on this founding team uh, is a variety of different skill sets. We're all ambitious. We're all driven, uh, but Armando is like next level. I, I want to build something huge and here's the steps that it takes to get there. Um, yeah. And I can, I could quite honestly say that I don't feel they're tied to the money we raised other than the desire to return a, a very meaningful return to those investors. Beyond that, it's really, you know, what's best for the business, which ultimately is best for the investors. Armando? Yeah, uh, it's a very good question. I think it goes back from, from me and personally as an operator and, and also when I think about myself as an investor, it goes back to the idea of traction, right? Uh, and it's, it's always about traction. It's always about th that next stage of growth, regardless of where you are as an organization. The nuance there is that traction can mean many things. Uh, it can be very different depending on the stage that you are at, as well as the type of company that you are. Uh, as an example, B2B companies and B2C companies measure traction in very different ways. You know, B2C companies are generally speaking about users uh, and about uh, engagement and about, you know, repeat usage. Uh, and B2C, B2B companies usually measure traction in terms of, uh, you know, if, you, if it's a SaaS business, the traditional SaaS fund, so how traffic visitors as well, and as well as trials, as well as signups, as well as conversions into revenue, retention, that type of stuff. Um, 
And if you are, you know, marketplace or if you're a different type of business model, there are KPIs that go uh, with that as well. The nuance within that is that the stage matters. And so if you are earlier stage, you know, revenue will be less. And if you're a B2B business, revenue would be somehow less important. I don't want to say not important, but revenue is always important, but, you know, someone less. Um, and top of the funnel stuff, marketing stuff would be in product related, you know, ability to ship product uh, and, you know, features that are value add for customers, the ability to activate customers and to have them engage. Um, whether you are starting to rank in SEO, whether you're starting to attract uh, visitors, whether those visitors are starting to convert into trials. Uh, any of that part of that story, that talk track, that narrative can be qualified as traction. Um, and at different stages of the life cycle of a company, every one of those things matter, uh, although with different degrees of importance, right? Mm -hmm. um, but generally, it's some version of traction, however you define it. Yeah, I, I think Armando is being a, a little humble here in terms of the breadcrumbs story. The reality is like our product is focused on this idea of revenue acceleration across uh, businesses of any size. And, um, you know, not to toot our own horn, but we've 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 been kind of walking the walk, uh, which has been an amazing story. I think our investors have really appreciated that. And and we look to be on a path to maintain that that trajectory which um, which makes investor updates like a dream. It's, you know, it's awesome to send those updates to, to our investors. Okay, perfect. Um, Armando, this, this, this next one I have is for you. I just a couple more questions. Thanks, thanks, thanks everybody for your answers. Um, you have a bit more experience uh, as an angel investor and going through different rounds and you know, different experiences in different companies. And you kind of alluded to it, like when you go through different rounds of funding, you dilute more, right? You, yep. you lose a bit more of your company along the way, but along the way, you might also pick up um, more board seats or, you know, new investors coming in and, and joining your board. And then, um, you know, I've heard of stories where there's multiple board members who are external, who are all the, uh, you know, VCs at different firms. How do you, how do you control that along the way? And how do you not give up too much control of, of your board, right. especially the voting control? That's an age-old question. Uh, and it's a very good one. Um, so the board relationship is a complicated one uh, between founders and investors. And I think at the core of it, there is not too much awareness from founders or not too sophisticated founders, not too experienced founders about one fundamental truth. And the fundamental truth is the following. Um, investors and founders are very complementary elements and actors of one very excited, one very exciting ecosystem, but they are motivated by very different drivers and they look for very different things and they care about very different things. So from a founder perspective, founders are excited about the idea of you know, building something meaningful, building something big, doing something that's useful for someone 
or just being passionate about what they are building, right? Investors want to have a return. The company is a vehicle to drive a return for their LPs, for their investors. And so that the, the place where those two approaches clash, clash is like the board, right? Uh, and most of the times, a lot of the conflict that happens uh, at the board level is because founders don't really understand or appreciate or take that into account. Um, and once that you have that realization, once that you understand that, you know, things start to make more sense uh, in terms <laughs> of how to present information and how to speak about the future and, you know, how to think about what they are thinking about on the other side and what they're looking for from the other side. Um, giving, con giving up control is like a mechanics of the business of how you know technology is run of how fundraising happened particularly for the bigger rounds you know there is always a board seat attached usually when you do a series a post series a you are giving up control it should be a big big decision and too many founders to take take that decision too easily uh, something that i see happening all the time is people accepting on the board you know investors that they don't know uh, or like they get investment from whatever VC firm and, you know, the whatever guy joins the board. Uh, I, I, I don't know if I would do that. Uh, that also <laughs> comes with, you know, having the luxury to decide, which goes back to my concept about optionality, right? The best thing that you can do as a founder is maintain optionality, maintain the power to decide when and if you want to make that decision and do that, you know, have that decision on your own, own, own terms. And the best way to maintain optionality comes down to two things. I have that, I've had this talk with many, many founders many, many times. Growth, profitability. If you are a growing and profitable company, you call the shots. If you're not, the decisions will be imposed on you in some way, shape, or form at some point in time. And so if you focus on those two things as a founder, you will, you will maintain optionality. Maintaining optionality will mean that when you get to a board decision, you, you will be able to say, hey, I want that guy, not that other guy. Or I want to give up you know, one seat or two. Uh, or I want this fund or the other fund. Or maybe, wait a second, I want raise right now because I, I put a premium on control and I don't want anyone else on the board. Um, and let's think about, you know, cities A, B, C, whatever next year. Yeah, yeah I, wow. think, I, I think the thing I would add to that um, is that that idea of maintaining optionality is a function of exercising optionality, right? Like, like Armando said, if you're running a profitable business with growth, you'll have more options in terms of where you're raising money and, that, and, and what strings come along with that money, right? Um, and ties back to the goal setting, right? It's like, so if you're setting, if you're setting goals and you're, and you're hitting them, that narrative, you know, goes along the whole value chain. Yeah. When you have someone on the board and you already gave up that, uh, those are, you know, the thing to be aware of is that the board position to some degree is like more, uh, like a bigger commitment than a marriage. Like uh, you can have I was going to say, <laughs> yeah, you can have a divorce. It's very hard for you to divorce like a VC that's on your board. It's like harder than a divorce. 
I've heard that before as well. Yeah, it's very true. And so, you know, make the decision with all, you know, type of optionality as well as careful consideration possible. Awesome. Um, last question. Um, I wanted to ask in terms of any final or like any tips uh, to conclude the, um, uh, the episode around what, what feedback, what tips, suggestions would you give to early founders who are going to be doing their first seed raise in early 2021? Uh, well, I, I can tell you from a first time founder perspective, um, and, and like I've been around the startup world and tech for a long time. So I, I've seen a bunch of these, um, I've had exposure to, you know, VCs that are on the board. Um, I consider myself like truly blessed that the, my first time founding a tech company is with people that have done it before and have done it before successfully. So if possible, I would say, try to make that part of your, of your strategy, right? Like if you're, if you're in the position to uh, build out your founding team prior to the raise, try and fill one of those spots, at least with someone, obviously they have to be passionate about what you're doing and the problem that you're solving. And ideally there's a strong relationship there, which are all ingredients that are making it work at breadcrumbs. But if you have that option, uh, I definitely, I don't think I would do this a second time without a similar kind of set of players at the table, personally. That's great, that's a great tip. I have two. Uh, number one is don't over-optimize for too much money. Uh, 350K to half a million is more than enough these days to start anything or almost anything. Uh, and you can pretty much raise that amount anywhere these days. Um, and so that simplifies things for you as a founder versus trying to go for the one million dollar round or like two or three or five, which has completely different requirements. You know, like the relatively small amount to validate the idea and take it to the next stage of growth or, or validation is, is good enough for starters. Number two, we talked about, and the industry as an average talks a lot about the founder to investors relationship and what investors are looking for and what you should do to optimize for you know being able to attract investors and capital and all those things which are good things one of the things that gets forgotten most of the times or not equally highlighted as it should which i often mention to founders is that it's good to think about investors and it's good to think about what investors are looking for. Uh, it's equally, and money has a value. Uh, there is one thing which is more valuable than money, which is time. And the, the people, like the ones that are making the biggest time investments are the founders, right? As a founder, whenever you're accepting investment from someone, you're committing your next two, three, four, five, 10 years to do something, those two, three, five, 10 years, no one is going to give them back to you um, in any way. So more than thinking about the money and the value of the money and attracting investors, I would recommend people and founders, particularly early stage or you know, first time founders to think about 
the value of the time they're putting into it and this exercise as a way or like thinking about their company as an exercise to validate progress for themselves first and for investors second, more than investor first and themselves second, because you can raise money, you can make money, you can start another company, uh, you can attract more investors, but the years that you're going to put into something, those are gone. Never get that. Yeah. yeah, and so true. I don't know if it's a function of getting older or whatever, but <laughs> breadcrumbs has been a, you know, breadcrumbs basically became a kernel of idea about a, a year ago. And I can tell you that year has been lightning fast. Um, and, and it feels like they just keep getting faster. So, you know, from year one to year five to year 10, um, that could go uh, through a blink of an eye and you will never get it back. So it's very good advice, I think. Yeah, thanks. I was I, I I love that advice. Thank you so much, Armando, Gary. Uh, it's been awesome having you on on the show. Off the record, I really appreciate your, your time uh, and the knowledge. More importantly, for for giving to all of our listeners. Um, I want to thank everybody for listening to the series. Um, this was another off the record episode. Just to recap, it's a new podcast that we're doing with the goal to build a community of founders and investors around us so they can both build better businesses together. Um, so thanks again, and I'll just go off the records, but it's very much on the records. Oh, very much on the record. <laughs> <laughs> so you're gonna have to explain that at some point. <laughs> <laughs>